come to uh, put red back up to make us think about how God pours out His Spirit throughout history at different times, similarly to Pentecost. And so red from Reformation Day to the end of the Pentecost season reminds us of such things. And so we too today desire that God reform His church and bring revival to the world. So with that in mind, let us go before the Lord and hear His Word and be instructed by it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that Your Word brings us light and life to us. Please grant us understanding of You and our own hearts. Now as we hear the Word preached, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, my strength and nearest kinsman redeemer. Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So today we'll be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 5, beginning at verse 7 through verse 13. Let's now hear the words of God. Now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to Yahweh our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to Yahweh. Then Samuel cried out to Yahweh for Israel, and Yahweh answered him. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But Yahweh thundered with a loud thunder, upon the Philistines that day, and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far below Beth-car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called his name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far Yahweh has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel, And the hand of Yahweh was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath. And Israel recovered its territory from the lands of the Philistines. Also, there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. So I have a question for you parents out there, or those who have been parents. Maybe your kids are out of the house where you've ever gone and you've asked them, hey, what did you learn in Sunday school or what did you hear in church today? And they simply respond with, it was about Jesus. That ever happened to you? Okay. You as a parent, you're looking for a little more than that, right? Well, the truth is, all of God's word is about Jesus. Their reasoning is not wrong. It's not flawed in the least bit. Jesus himself said in Luke 24 that all of the prophets and the law and the Psalms were about himself. So when we read or study the Old Testament, we need to see Jesus in those narratives. The triune God is working his salvation for his people in spite of our helplessness and sin. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
God's work in our lives to draw us out, to protect us, to save us from our sins has been from the very beginning, from creation. As Christians, we need to see that God is active in the world so that we may be delivered from the bondage of our sin. Just as we see this very thing throughout the whole Bible, God brings us through life so that He may be glorified in that we are delivered from our sin, justified and made holy by the work of Christ, sanctified by the Spirit. We can put away our idols. God brings judgment as discipline so that His people may learn to live as a pleasing sacrifice before Him. And it's interesting, when I planned out, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, what I'd be preaching before I left to do the wedding last week and what I'd be preaching this week, I hadn't really thought about it in terms of this falling on the last day of the season of Pentecost, where we ask God to bring reformation to His people and revival to the world. And in order to do that, we have to put away our idols repent of our sin, and be restored as God's people. Last time we were together, we studied 1 Samuel 2, 3, and 4. And we heard from God's word about the sins of Eli and his sons. They were stealing from God and corrupting worship. They were committing adultery with the women at the gates. Eli speaks to his sons about it, but he doesn't restrain his sons. Eli abdicates his position both as their father and as high priest. A man of God comes and calls out the sin and pronounces judgment. And because of the corrupted worship, the people of God were living corrupted lives. And we saw that because of this, the word of the Lord was rare. Everyone's going to and fro. I want to hear a fresh thing from God. I want to hear God. I want to hear God. And why is it rare? It's rare because they were told to bring the word of God out of the tabernacle and speak it to the people. And they weren't doing that. Why? Because they were consumed with stealing and committing adultery at the gates of the temple. God was not speaking because sin was permeating their worship. The unrepentant people's sins were piling up. Eli and his sons were not bringing God's word to his people. We also learned that Eli, his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see. Now this is not just that he was going blind, but as he was not obeying God's word, first in leading worship, and then in leading his family in repentance and obedience, his ability to discern and judge was hampered. So when we don't worship rightly, when we don't lead the church as elders and pastors rightly, when we don't lead our families in repentance and obedience before God, our ability to discern and judge what is right and good and best is hampered. And you know, all of this happened, the Word told us, that before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle, and we talked about that last time, how the lamp in the tabernacle was never to go out. And of course, this is not just about the lampstand going out, 
but about the light of the glory of God leaving the tabernacle. Because that's what's about to happen. When God leaves, the light of his glory departs and leaves no light to perceive anything. And of course, as God prepares to leave, he doesn't leave his people helpless and without hope. What does he do? He calls a prophet. God called Samuel. God appears and gives his word to Samuel, first for Eli and then for all of Israel. Samuel begins bringing God's word to all of Israel. And even though God has called the prophet, and the prophet is going out, and he's proclaiming the words of God, so they're hearing God's word now, his judgment still comes to those that are leading worship, and the glory of the Lord departs. Judgment comes to the covenant breakers, and defeat comes to all the people. There are two battles. The first one, there were just 4,000 dead. Now I say that, I take every life seriously. But compared to what's going to happen, it's small. What did they do when those 4,000 were killed? They didn't run to God. But as one commentator put it, sinners lengthen out their own misery by refusing to part with their sins. Let me read that again. Sinners lengthen out their own miseries by refusing to part with their sins. Israel doesn't look to God's word and repent, but instead they call out the Ark of the Covenant like a lucky rabbit's foot. Oh, all we've got to do is get the Ark of the Covenant, take it out to battle. We remember what he did in the old days. Ark was out there with God's people, and we just took everybody down. They forgot about Ai and the judgment that happened there when they weren't obedient to God. So what happens in the second battle? 30,000. Now, it's interesting because it says 30,000 more foot soldiers. I suspect because he's making that distinction that that means that others and other things, maybe archers, maybe uh, those riding on horses, they perished as well. So I think 30,000 is the starting marker. And the Ark of the Covenant is captured by the Philistines. And it says that the people of Israel flee to their tents. The defeat is complete. The unity of false worship is destroyed. And division covers the whole land. The word of God says, every man went to his own tent. They fled to their own tent. This reminds us of Judges 21, where it says this, So the children of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. They went out from there, every man to his inheritance. And it finishes by saying, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Man, that's a judgment. Every man does what's right in his own eyes. No truth, no fixed point of what is right and wrong. The people of Israel have returned to a very poor way of living. And they're divided. Their unity and false worship 
They were going, they were going to the tabernacle, but they were participating. They weren't calling out, Eli, you've got to stop this mess right now. No, they just, okay, it's going on. No, they didn't do that. So God strikes down the false worship, and he departs. But just like the Garden of Eden, God steps in and provides deliverance. In this defeat of Israel, God is at work to bring defeat to his enemies and deliverance to his people. And that's sort of hard to see because we're like, man, all these people die? The ark is captured? What is going on here? Well, first of all, God defeats his enemies. I really appreciate one commentator put it this way. As the Ark of the Covenant leaves Israel and goes to the land of the Philistines, God begins his victory lap around the land of the Philistines. That's interesting. We don't really think about it in that way. But remember this. When God established his covenant, he spoke to Israel, and he said if they didn't keep his commandments and worship other gods, he would take them out of the promised land and place them in exile. But just as Jesus stepped in as our substitute, God represented in his covenant ark, which, by the way, has the mercy seat for the atonement of sin. So you see the image here? Here's Jesus, the mercy seat, being carried away by these God-haters, and what happens? He's placed in, in the temple by God's enemies and placed in the temple of Dagon in the Philistine city of Ashdod. And, and the Philistines were doing this because they, they're victor. They, they, they've been victorious over the people of Israel, and they think they've been victorious over Yahweh, and so they placed that ark right in the temple of Dagon as a sign that Yahweh is under the submission of Dagon. But we see in 1 Samuel 5, it tells us that when the people of Ashdod came back to the temple the next morning, that Dagon had fallen down and they found the statue of Dagon prostrate before the ark of Yahweh. And it's pretty funny because what happens here is Dagon couldn't set himself back up, so the Philistines put him back in place. This reminds us of Isaiah 46.5, when speaking of idols, God says this, To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me, that we should be alike? They, that's idolaters, lavish gold out of a bag and weigh out silver on the scales, they hire a goldsmith, and he makes a god. They prostrate themselves. Yes, they worship. They bear it on their shoulder. They carry it and set it in its place, and it stands. From its place, it shall not move. Though one cries out to it, yet it cannot answer, nor save him out of his trouble. Dagon had no way to move, but in their idolatry, the Philistines set the statue back in place. People of God, we often work hard to prop up our idolatry. In 1 Samuel 5, it says this, When they arose again the next morning, this is the, this is the second day 
There was Dagon fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of Yahweh. The head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were broken off and broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. So we see God caused the idol to fall again, this time breaking off its head, reminding us of God's promise to crush the head of the serpent who deceives the world. The hands of the helpless Dagon are broken off. The story will contrast the helpless hand of idols to that of the glorious and active hand of God. Exodus 15, 6 says, Your right hand, O Yahweh, has become an inglorious power. Your right hand, O Yahweh, has dashed the enemy in pieces. Now, of course, they were singing that. The people of Israel were singing that because God had delivered them from the Egyptians. By the way, the Philistines are descendants of the Egyptians. And so, for the people of Israel, they would have made this very clear connection. And here we see that the glorious hand of God is active in the world to deliver his people and defeat his enemies. So do the Philistines now recognize Yahweh and repent? No. The priests simply change how they worship Dagon. It says in verse 5 of <coughs> excuse me, 1 Samuel 5, Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any who come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. So did they stop worshiping him? No, they just modified it even though Yahweh is doing great things there. When we bend the knee to idols, we don't want to give them up. Our idols aren't images, but are disguised in our imaginations. When those things that we bow down to and build around our lives fall, we prop them back up. And when they break, we still don't repent, but simply change the way we worship and attend to our idols. Now remember that hand we're talking about? It says in 1 Samuel 5, 6, But the hand of Yahweh was heavy on the people of Ashdod, and he ravaged them and struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. Now, I want to say two things about the heavy hand of God. One, it's active. But that word heavy is the same word translated as glory. So the glory hand of God was upon them. His righteousness. His truth. And so he ravaged them. He put his hand on them. And then, what happened? Man, they've got to get rid of this thing. They've got to pass it on. So they send it to Gath. Okay, we started in one place, right? This victory lap is going. Now in Gath, then the hand of God was against them, and the plague comes to them, and so on. Finally, they end up, the ark ends up in Ekron, and Ekron freaks out. It says, they've brought the ark of God of Israel to us to kill us and our people. Right? But nobody's making a plan yet. Oh, we'll just keep passing around. That's what we do. We keep trying to figure out ways to, to work around what God is speaking to in our lives. 
We don't surrender. We don't confess our sins. We hold on to our idolatry with both hands and we labor hard in it to prop them up. The Ekronites want to send the Ark of Yahweh back to Israel. They're finally waking up. Get this thing out of here. Verse 11 says, For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God wasn't just heavy, very heavy there. The Ekronites were dying with the plague of tumors. After seven months of God's victory lap over his enemies, demonstrating his real and active hand, the Philistines have had enough. And they call their priests and diviners to figure out how to deal with the Ark of Yahweh. Very much like the Egyptians with Moses and the people of Israel, the priests of Philistia know what the worship of Yahweh looks like. They know that they need to send a trespass offering. But instead of repenting and then sending the trespass offering, they went about providing it simply with gold. They're trying to buy God off. God's not interested in our gold. Not until we've repented. When we give our tithes and offerings, it's a representation of all we've done this week. It isn't just about paying another bill. It's about coming in, placing it up here, and we are worshiping God of all our actions of the week, and we're placing an offering here. But what do we do first? We confessed our sins this morning. Right? So this is their mistake. It's not about paying money. It's about repenting and paying that trespass offering afterwards as a representation of your heart before God. They don't conform to the words of God in Leviticus 5. They give their wealth, but not their hearts. So God's going to return from exile. The Philistines, who are still not sure that it's Yahweh's hand that has struck them, what do they do? They go and make a new cart, so it wasn't used for anything else. We're going to make it holy, going to make it special. And then they place milk cows who have hungry calves, and they put them in the yoke to pull the ark back to Israel. Because they're saying, okay, maybe it's not really God's hand. Think about this. How many thousands of people have died and are afflicted with plagues in the land of the Philistines? Tens of thousands. Is this God? And they keep moving it around. You'd figure by the third city, they would have figured out, okay, <laughs> it's God here. But no, one final test. We're going to put these, these milk cows with hungry calves. We're going to lock the calves up. And, and if we put the ark on that cart and it's pulled back to Israel, then we'll know. But, but actually, it's got to get all the way in Israel. And the Word of God tells us that those Cows mooing the whole way, crying out for their babies, take the ark back to Israel. And God drives those lowing cows all the way back to Israel, and the cows take the cart to Beth Shemesh. Now this is important. This is a Levitical town, a town of refuge. And when the people of Beth Shemesh see the ark, they rejoice. The Levites of the town, though, here's a critical thing. They rejoice, but they haven't learned the lessons concerning proper worship. They took the wood of the cart and offered a burnt offering. I want to tell you about that. We talked about this when we were talking about worship earlier this year, where every time you see burnt offering, right, or whole burnt offering, 
that, that word actually is ascension. It's an ascending offering to God, right? So in our worship service, when we come here, we repent of our sins, and then we go before God, and we ascend into His presence where we sing God's Word, we read God's Word, we hear God's Word preached. God takes us up, and He he burns us up, and He cuts us up and rearranges us so that we are made whole in Him. And then he brings us to his table of peace. But here, what do they do? It sounds like they're doing a good thing, right? Well, it's not good. Because if you remember, they're supposed to use bulls, not female cattle. The men of Beth Shemesh continue their lax approach to God and his worship. And they looked inside the ark. And God struck down many of the men in a great slaughter. There's judgment for grasping for things that don't belong to us. It is a great effort, or excuse me, it is a great affront to God for vain men to pry into and to meddle in the secret things that do not belong to them. This is Matthew Henry, and he points out Deuteronomy 29 and Colossians 2. A man was ruined by desiring forbidden knowledge. That was who? Adam, right? God will not suffer his ark to be profaned. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Those that will not fear his goodness and reverently use the tokens of his grace shall be made to feel his justice. The priests of Beth did not go fetch Samuel the prophet or go to take the ark to the tabernacle or go in there and search what the law said to do and how to worship rightly, they weren't learning the lessons of God's judgment and discipline. So they sent the ark to another Israelite city. By the way, that other Israelite city is not a Levitical city. They're just out of kilter. People of God, hear what God says to you. When you read His Word, when you come in this place and you hear it read, you hear it preached, What is God trying to teach you? Here's the big issue. It's idolatry. How are we involved in idolatry? We're going to find out. Remember our passage that we started with? It was about turning away from their idols. Here's the interesting thing. Do you know how long it is from the call of Samuel? And we know there's seven months of the ark being... In, Philist, in the land of, Philist, of the Philistines. But then it's 20 years of Samuel going around and preaching God's word and preaching repentance and preaching against idolatry. 20 years of ministry. Chapter 7, verse 2, So it was that the ark remained in Kirith Jerem a long time, It was there 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after Yahweh. Now, this is interesting. For the 20 years, the people of Israel lamented. That is, that they were in emotional mourning after Yahweh because there was no high priest and no worship at the tabernacle. Samuel, as God's appointed prophet, priest, steps in and performs sacrifices. But he does this. And he preaches for 20 years. 
So here's something important. You can lament about God and sound religious and not repent. You can show up to worship God and still try to worship God your own way and not according to his word. We must put away our idols. And so we see in verse 3 of 1 Samuel 7 that Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel saying, If you return to Yahweh with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the Asherists from among you and prepare your hearts for Yahweh and serve him only. And he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Asherahs and served Yahweh only. So they repented. But it was 20 years of labor, of preaching, of calling to repentance. And 20 years of the people of Israel trying to worship God their own way. And having emotional responses to God, but not putting away they're idols. People of God, you can be born in the church, you can be baptized, and you can grow up and pick up idols and start serving all kinds of other things other than God. You can go into his house and say, I'm going to worship this way and I'm going to worship that way. And this is what my worship looks like. And my life in Christ looks this way. I know you do it. What does God's word say? Worship the way God says. Turn your hearts to him. Put away your idols. The people of Israel put away idol worship. They repented and they served only Yahweh, which means they returned to obedience to the first and second commandments. What idols do we need to turn away from? How are we as God's people putting other gods before the triune God? Repent. And be restored. There is victory in worship. The world all around us can make us believe that God will not win. There are even those in the church, broadly speaking, who believe that God doesn't win here on earth. God brings victory to us that looks like defeat. We need to repent and be reconciled to God. Remember, God's enemies don't want you to repent. They don't want you to be restored to God. In our passage, as Israel is turning from idolatry, repenting of their sin, the enemies of God gather against them. Remember, he says, go to Mizpah, so all the people of Israel go to Mizpah, right? They've repented, they're coming together so that they can hear God's word. And what does the enemy do? He shows up in force. They don't want repentance. They don't want you to stop your idolatry. Israel fears the enemies of God, so they turn to the prophet to intercede for them. And what does Samuel do? Samuel brings them to the next stage of worship. They've already confessed their sins, and he brings that whole burnt offering, that ascension offering. And as he's doing that, Samuel brings the petitions to God for deliverance. What happened today? What did we do? We repented of our sins. We came in here. We heard God's word. We came before and we brought our petitions. We thanked God. We praised God in prayer. And we brought our petitions before him. That's exactly what's happening in this passage. 
Worship doesn't seem like the thing to do in a crisis. But God does assault the gates of hell when we worship Him according to His Word. This is important. God Himself brings down the gates of hell. How do we do that? By worshiping Him, repenting of our idolatry, worship, and the gates of hell fall. And it says this, when the children of Israel heard of it, that is the Philistines gathering against them, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to Yahweh. Then Samuel cried out to Yahweh for Israel. And what did God do? Yahweh answered him. Now as Samuel was offering up that ascension offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. What happened? But Yahweh thundered with a loud thunder on the Philistines that day. And it says, and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. We could think that God could send out his angels and just wipe them out. He could just take that heavy hand and do this. But he does the unexplainable. Does a loud thunder. I don't know about you. There have been a few times in my life where I've heard loud thunder. And it startled me, made me afraid. I was once talking on the telephone and lightning out the window. Next thing it was through the telephone line and pushed me across the kitchen. I couldn't see for about 15 seconds. And as a foolish young man, you know what the thing I feared the most at that moment? should have been fearing God. <laughs> but in those days, I, I was living with unrepentant sin and had very long hair. And I was worried that my hair was gone. Watch too many cartoons, I suppose. <laughs> the point I'm making is that many times we've heard thunder and it might have disturbed us for a moment, but it didn't shake us to the point of confusion so we couldn't do anything. No, God's heavy hand was upon the Philistines. He thundered. They didn't get that. And then God confused them. The enemies of God, when we worship God, the enemies of God are confused. Worship God. Trust in God for deliverance. He will bring down the gates of hell. And it says this, And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far Yahweh has helped us. Thus far Yahweh has helped us. Yahweh's help is ongoing. Thus far, and does God keep his promises? All of them, all of the time. So what happened to the enemies of God? Verse 13, so the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come anymore to the territory of Israel. And the hand of Yahweh was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were what? Restored. Repent. Worship, God restores. 
They were restored from Ekron to Gath, and Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. We look around us, we see evil rising up, we see the enemies of God pressing. Repent, worship, God will bring them down. And we see that also there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Worship God according to his words, his word, and watch our enemies be put to flight before him. And then God restores us. And what does he do? He brings us to his table of peace. Let us pray. Most merciful God, we give thanks to you for your patient hand that guides us to repentance and restoration. Please help us to see the idols that we have allowed to creep into our lives. May we repent of the ways that we cling to our sin and prop up the idols of pride, selfish ambition, and our pompous false holiness. Help us to obey your word that we may be living sacrifices throughout the week that brings you glory and your light to the world. We acknowledge that you have delivered us from our sin and now do bring us to a peaceable life through the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who reigns with you and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen.